Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Science, exercise, nutrition, health, energy, passion. One year, no beer. This is the One Year No Beer podcast, where you will find all the latest tips, tricks, and hacks for a way to live better. Today, joining me on the One Year No Beer podcast is Ruby Warrington. Ruby is a lifestyle writer and former features editor of the UK's Sunday Times Style Supplement. You may have read her work before. In 2013, she created Numinos, an online magazine. Did I say that right? We'll find out. Also, she is the co-founder of Moon Club, an online mentoring program for spiritual activists and Sober Curious event series, Club Soda, New York City. And that's not it. Ruby is also the author of Material Girl, Mystical World, and Sober Curious, which was only published on the 31st of December, just gone by. Welcome to the show, Ruby. How are you? I am very good. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. Did um did I get all of that right? It's actually numinous. Numinous. I was close. I was close. I was close. I'm sure it wasn't just my Scottish accent which ruined it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it, it rhymes with luminous. Oh, and yeah. it speaks to I, the way I describe it, it speaks to anything that's kind of within the realm of our human experience that we can't necessarily articulate with words. So it's our feeling states, our connection to our emotional self, our more sort of mystical or spiritual experiences, I suppose. Um, and the Numinous is the name of my online magazine, which dives into all sorts of topics around that. Brilliant. I love mm. that. We'll, mm. definitely, um, we'll definitely come back to that. Um, so um, tell us a bit more background. Um, how did you get into uh, writing books? Well, after I, about a year after I launched The Numinous, um, an editor from HarperCollins reached out and was like, hey, I found your platform. The way you're talking about these subjects is very new and fresh. My, the goal with it was always to talk about or write about or present topics, numinous topics in a way that made them very accessible and very relevant to modern life. And at the time, back in yeah, 2012, 2013, there wasn't really much out there um, in that space. And so it was kind of one of those emails you never, you don't believe actually happens, you know, <laughs> having a publisher reach out to you. Yeah. Everything, I'd, everything I'd learned about the publishing industry was that you had to get an agent and then you had to get Absolutely. about 500 no's before you got <laughs> a yes. And so I hadn't ever attempted. Here you were um, skipping all of that. Exactly. And I sort of couldn't believe my luck. And so that led to my first book, Material Girl, Mystical World, which was really, um, it's a book that covers, it's an introduction to many of the subjects I cover on the site, um, told through the lens of my personal experience and therefore the subsequent kind of deep, deep transformation that happened as I embraced many of these practices. And it was the backdrop to me becoming sober curious. And so the last section of that book is actually called, is all about people and parties. And it's about how our use of substances is often 
linked to a craving for some kind of a numinous experience. Um, it was, and it talked about how you experiencing those things in other ways had really shone a light on the way that I was using alcohol um, and how unhealthy it was for me and how actually the experiences, the magical experiences I was seeking in alcohol came at an incredibly high price um, and were also in no way comparable to the incredible experiences I was having through all these other practices. So the first book kind of led on to the second book, you could say. So uh, I love that it all, you know, it's sort of um, Steve Jobs says, you never understand in the moment um, why these things have happened to you. But as you, as you look back, you see all the dot, the dots connected. He didn't say that. He said it much more succinct than I just did. (laughs) (laughs) It's um, a good one. Yes. But, um, okay. So let's go back and talk about this transformation. What was, what was life like before? Uh, And I need to understand this drinking person and and Mm. what's going on. Mm. So I had, as you mentioned, you know, I was, I had a a very successful career in the media in the UK. I had sort of worked my way up from teen magazines like Smash Hits to features editor at the Sunday Times Style, which kind of when I graduated from college, like a journalism school was pretty much exactly where I wanted to be. Um, and a couple of years, three years or so into that job, I found myself just at a real loss in terms of meaning and my kind of overall purpose, I suppose. And this was manifesting as acute anxiety um, that I was experiencing pretty much all of the time, unless I was drunk. <laughs> Um, and I definitely having always been a really kind of like, you know, a good time, a good time, fun times drinker. Um, I think it was probably around that time. And we're talking like 2011, 2012, that I sort of transitioned into using alcohol as a way to, as I put it in the book, kind of paper over this isn't my, isn't my life fabulous gap. Because on paper, it really looked like everything was going great. I had my dream job. I'd recently bought a house. My marriage was really great. Had all these fab friends. Um, but on the inside, I was deeply, deeply unhappy. Like I said, suffering really acute anxiety pretty much all of the time. I was feeling very lost in terms of my purpose and what I was doing with my life and really questioning every. I found myself questioning everything, like whether anything I had achieved up to that point could even be called an achievement, what on earth I really wanted to do with my life, et cetera, et cetera. And fate intervened at that point. Um, my husband got a job in New York. And so I left my job at the Sunday Times and moved to New York. And it was that it was then that I started working on the numinous. Um, because I guess I had been, yeah, I'd been looking to many of those sorts of practices. And when I talk about these practices, I mean things like astrology and the tarot and different sort of mystical traditions, I different ideas about healing. Um, I'd been looking to to that space for answers to some of these deeper existential questions that I found myself grappling with. Um, and so that, yeah, that, that turning point happened in 2012. Um, I didn't stop drinking then. I had already begun questioning my drinking in terms of, hmm, to what extent is alcohol actually exacerbating all of these problems? But it was a very internal kind of questioning. It wasn't something I was talking about at all. I moved to New York in the midst of this kind of existential crisis, I suppose, and found myself um, jobless and 
with a, a space in my life to create something else and really address some of those questions on a deeper level, I suppose. And the numinous is what I began working on. I didn't stop drinking at that point, but my sober curiosity um, definitely ramped up to another level. And I began to get very curious about how my alcohol use and other drugs was a contributing to the um, the more difficult experiences I was having and B, what I was really using it for and whether there were other ways I could experience what I was seeking in alcohol through, as I described, some of these more sort of mystical, numinous practices, I suppose. So that was definitely a turning point. And I sort of consistently found myself drinking less and less and less over that period um, and found that to be a sort of spiritual journey in and of itself. I love it. Um, I, the reason why I love it so much is that it resonates very strongly with my own experience. Mm. Um, so um, starting from a process of headspace, let's say, you know, I did 10 minutes on the train of headspace, started to get into meditation. That meditation then led me to question my relationship with alcohol, um, questioned it, chose to take a break from booze, blown away by what changed. Created one year, no beer, realized that actually my meaning and my purpose were all interconnected. All the dots started to connect together. Sent a tweet out on um, uh, to a BBC journalist, which ended up being a 10-minute feature on BBC World News in over 200 countries. Had a phone call from a friend saying, I'm meeting the Dalai Lama next week. Would you like to meet him? And a week later, I sat down with the Dalai Lama. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I can't say my, my trajectory has been quite that impressive, but um, what a story. Well, it, 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 I, I so resonate with what you're saying about um, a spiritual part of this whole journey of um, discovery and a yearning of ourselves to discover spirituality, whatever that is for you, mm. um, whatever it is for you. And so I think it's really interesting, this, this, um, um, you know, this publisher came out of nowhere because you'd started to explore spirituality and you became more uh, open to opportunity and yourself and your purpose. Mm. I think that's really powerful. Yes, exactly. And it was as if in a way, cutting out the alcohol was creating a space for that to come in. That's it, allowing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and in a way, I feel that, and I mean, this is something I talk about in the book, Sober Curious. For me, the ultimately removing substances is about cultivating more presence in my life, like presence for myself. Um, yeah. And that means being present with who I really am and what I'm really here to contribute. And I think that, yeah, that's what the process was um, facilitating for me, that, that presence. It's, it's, yeah, I love it. It's not, it's, it's not an awakening. It's an allowing. <laughs> it was, it was there. It just was being, being hidden or avoided exactly. by, uh, by distraction. Mm, totally. Yeah. Take me on a bit further forward. So um, now you've, uh, you, you, was this the first book that you brought out material girl or, yeah, Material Girl Mystical World was my first book, and that came out in summer 2017. At that point, I had already started this Sober Curious event series, mm. Club Soda NYC, not to be confused with Club Soda in the UK, who many of your listeners may be um, familiar with. Yep. Um, and I started that event series because my experience had shown me that outside of traditional recovery communities, um, there wasn't really much space 
for to just to just talk openly about our relationship to alcohol and about the impact of drinking on our lives, how we use alcohol in society. It felt like it was all very much happening. Those sorts of conversations were happening very much behind closed doors. And I did actually go to a couple of AA meetings, but didn't find, I didn't see my experience reflected in what I was hearing people sharing about in those meetings. And I felt like a bit of an imposter, which I think is, I've heard other people describe. um, That's my experience. Right. Uh, Suggested, Uh, not because I had a problem, but because my counselor at the time wanted me um, to see where the road could go. And, mm-hmm. um, and I went a couple of times and was like, I'm, I'm just not, I'm nothing like that. I'm nothing mm-hmm. like that at all. So it didn't, mm-hmm. didn't resonate and didn't see any other solution at the time. Right. There, it's very, <laughs> I mean, because I think because we're so familiar in our society is like, if you are questioning your drinking, that means you are an alcoholic. And so you must go to AA. That's That's very much the dominant messaging up until very recently. And that was certain, that was something I really found myself grappling with because I knew there was, I knew there was a, a, a gray area, let's say that wasn't being catered to, I suppose. And so began hosting these events, which were billed as being for the sober curious community, people who were just interested in asking some questions about alcohol and how it was affecting them um, in a judgment-free, stigma-free, shame-free setting. I partnered with um, a meditation coach, Biet Simkin, who would lead big meditations. And then we'd have panel discussions. We had dance parties, all sorts of things. Um, And this was going on sort of concurrently with me get it, writing Material Girl Mystical World, getting ready to publish it. And it's very interesting. I mean, The Numinous has been my sort of main gig, I suppose, since I moved to New York. But the thing that I was most asked to speak about on podcasts, that the media were most interested in talking to me about, um, that seemed to be gaining the biggest, fastest traction was this sober curious stuff that I was doing. And so it was about six months after my first book came out, I got a new agent and I just kind of said to her, you know, do you think, should I, should I pitch a book about the sober curious? And she just said, yes, you must. This is a, a growing conversation. Um, you've got some really interesting thoughts on it. So yes, pitch it. And we did. And the publisher bought it. And then a year and a half later, I'm bringing out another book. <laughs> That's amazing. Fantastic. I love it. And the book is out. Um, yes. what a great book. Um, and, and it's been really well received. I've seen you all over the papers. Congratulations. Yes, indeed. There's been a lot of press interest. I think the timing obviously was timed specifically for a sort of dry January release. Um, but it's really sober, cu- being sober curious is not just for dry January. So yeah, it's a, it's a discussion as you know, um, that's relevant for many people at any point. So, so yeah, the book's been received really well interestingly it's um much more so in the uk but then i think dry january is a much bigger um thing in the uk than in the us although they're slowly catching on here it's one thing the us (laughs) is behind on (laughs) one thing what are you talking about (laughs) there's a long list there's a long list list. exactly but i think that you know often what we hear particularly when it comes to things around and I don't really like this word, but the subject of wellness is that the UK follows on, whether it was juicing, whether it was the Atkins mm. diet, whether it was spin, you know, soul cycle, that kind of thing. It's like the UK follows, but I think the UK is actually further ahead in terms of this 
new sobriety movement, which you're obviously a part of, which is about saying you don't have to be an alcoholic. You don't have to even have a problem with alcohol to choose sobriety. Yeah, to make or the to choice. to explore sobriety. Yeah. yeah, yeah, to explore it or to take a break or whatever it is yeah. that fits you. Exactly. Um, you speak a lot in the book about triggers and specifically FOMA. Mm. which I thought was brilliant <laughs> fear of missing alcohol um, mm-hmm. this is obviously a, something that we see a lot with our members you know the fear of slipping up and giving in to these high trigger environments where drinking yeah. alcohol is the societal norm what mm. is what would your best advice be um in terms of well I, I think just really accepting or acknowledging that it would be abnormal to not be experiencing FOMA. Um, if you are, if you were somebody who's been used to drinking regularly um, from, you know, in my case, it was like the age of 14, 15 is probably when alcohol first got introduced. I took a break actually in my kind of later teens. I didn't drink at all through college. Um, right. whole, other, whole other story. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Tell me more. <laughs> okay. Well, if you must know, when I was 16, I met, um, I got in a relationship with a much older guy who was a dedicated spliff head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he was one of those, one of those people who was like, believed that weed was kind of like God's gift and that alcohol was the devil's juice. And so he basically banned, he banned me from drinking alcohol. Wow. Um, and so I didn't consume alcohol at all from the age of 16 to 22, which is obviously a time when for many of us, the habit really sort of takes hold. However, I compensated <laughs> and kind of swung the other way as soon as I got out of that relationship, because actually alcohol was something that helped You're me. You're catching up to do. I'm set. Well, but yeah, and you know, in a way, alcohol was something that helped me to find the confidence to leave that relationship it was a really bad very abusive relationship mm, sorry well. to hear that um, sorry to hear that and so so in a way alcohol was something that helped me to save myself you know mm. and I became very attached to alcohol as a result it's something that made me feel confident about myself that made me feel liberated yeah um, and so so yeah going back to the, my point about like if you you know if you've been using alcohol to feel more socially confident, to relax, to um, to let loose on the dance floor, whatever it is, whatever the situations might be that bring your FOMA up, it's perfectly normal. It, like I said, it would be really strange if you weren't experiencing some kind of trepidation about not having a drink in those situations. <laughs> um, it doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean you're diseased. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It means that you're a human being whose brain has formed an attachment, an emotional attachment to something because that's just what our brains do. So I think, yeah, that'd be my first piece of advice. Yep. Just accept your phone as very, as very normal. Know that anybody, anybody else in that room with you, if you took away alcohol, they would be feeling the FOMA too. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then just yeah, feel like it's the the, the age old thing in a way. Feel the FOMA and do it anyway. Yeah, rather than don't avoid being in those situations where you think you're going to be triggered or you think it's going to be really uncomfortable not to drink. The more the more you can actually put yourself in those situations and prove the FOMA wrong, prove that you don't actually need alcohol. Um, that the worst that's going to happen is you're going to be really awkward or really bored and need to leave. <laughs> um, yeah, um, just feel the FOMA, do it anyway, 
go boldly forth without a drink in your hand, prove to yourself you don't need alcohol. And the more times you can repeat that experience, you will literally begin to create new neural pathways in your brain that ultimately will mean that your FOMA lessens and lessens, that the triggers become less triggering, that you just, yeah, you will ultimately learn, like I said, that you don't need alcohol. Yeah. Uh, so exactly in line with everything we are saying. So I love it. I love, this is a great conversation. Mm. Um, and part of that FOMA, I think as well as just, you know, like you say, accepting, sitting with it, take a breath. Um, because you know, it, it, it is social conditioning. Um, and, um, if we were, if we didn't have this social peer pressure, uh, expectation, it wouldn't be there. Um, so, um, and, and, you know, with all this thing in meditation and it's about awareness of our habits, isn't it? Exactly. So. And I do, I do think there's a degree of biology involved. Like I yeah. said, you know, you're, you're, you will have been forming very, very deeply ingrained kind of neural oh, absolutely. In brain absolutely. that link this experience to alcohol. And that's yeah. by no means an easy feat to reroute that and to overcome that brain chemistry, but it just takes repetition uh, which is why you know meditation is such an incredible tool as with the way to build an, a, a regular meditation practice and to actually feel the benefits of meditation is to do it for an extended period of time and I think we live in this culture of instant gratification where we think if something, something doesn't work the first time we're very quick to give up we've sort of lost our faith and ability almost to cultivate new behaviors new experiences over time and I think that that's something, again, to remind yourself, like this isn't going to, you're not going to lose that conditioning. You're not going to reprogram your thinking about drinking or the way that you drink overnight. And you just need to allow yourself and be kind with yourself. Um, allow yourself the time that it actually takes. Yeah, brilliant. Um, interestingly, uh, uh, we were down in London last night um, when this goes live. It was a few nights ago um, and uh, it was for a never been to a red carpet preview of a, of a, of a movie, but it was a red carpet preview of a movie, um, with Steve Carell and it's called beautiful boy. Um, ah. and this movie is about addiction. Um, and I cried the whole way through it. Oh. <laughs> um, there were nearly no more tears left. Um, as a wow. father, it was so hard hitting. It's one of the most, his hardest movies to watch, but incredibly real, incredibly insightful. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it was interesting because obviously this is based based around drugs, um, but uh, it you know the alcohol was leading to that. I think everybody should everybody should watch this movie, Beautiful Boy. It's phenomenal, really, really phenomenal movie. Sounds this is the one with Julia Roberts. Uh, no, um, Steve Carell and okay. Timothy, Timothy Shamlalay, somebody. Oh, I know the guy you mean from Call Me By Your Name. Could be. I'm not much yeah. of a TV watcher. So <laughs> I know the guy you mean. There's, well, there's an, there's an addiction movie that's just come out with Julia Roberts as well. Oh, actually. Right. So it is a really, really hot topic, obviously hot here topic. in the US. Mm. I mean, the US is in the grips of an opioid epidemic. Epidemic. Um, but it's interesting. You said this is about drugs. We don't even think of alcohol as a drug. I know. It's so funny. the most addictive narcotics in the world, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And for me, I mean, I think that for me, certainly, and for many people I know, alcohol is the number one gateway drug. Like, I would yeah. never have taken cocaine if I hadn't have been drinking alcohol, for yeah. example. 
Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. The gateway drug leads on to everything else. I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to her. Like it all starts for that pint and then off it goes to everything else from Sunday. Uh, what would be your, it's coming to that time of year now where people have done dry January and followed the fad, kickstarted their goals. In fact, this podcast will come out just after Blue Monday. Um, which is apparently the most depressing day of the year and everybody gives up their goals. So what would you like to say to our audience, you guys out there, what would you like to say to them, anyone who's thinking, you know what, I think I'll have a drink again in Feb and I've just done dry Jan? Or... Well, being sober curious is really about questioning every instinct, every impulse, every invitation, and every expectation to drink. And in this situation of ending dry January, the impulse might be, well, I've done, the, I've done January so I can drink again now. The expectation might be on the part of your friends and family, you've done dry January now, you can join back in with the drinking now. Um, so it would be about question that, like really question, hmm, is that where I want to go next? Or am I, am I curious about what would happen if I tried a bit longer if I just tried another day or another day or another day or didn't really even put a time limit on it. I think one thing I found to be very useful is rather than thinking about not drinking as denying myself something, I come at it much more from the angle of what are all of the positives I'm experiencing in my life as a result of not drinking. And I think, I mean, for anyone who is doing a detox, right, after a boozy sort of holiday party season, I doubt very much if there's anyone out there who hasn't experienced some benefits <laughs> of that um, and hasn't found themselves feeling generally sort of you know, more positive, more optimistic, with more energy, having had better sleep, all of these lovely physical benefits and, and mental benefits as well. And my advice would be to just imagine like what would what would it be like to carry on inviting those things into your life versus just going back to your old sort of knee-jerk um, behavior around drinking. Excellent. I hope everybody listening takes that advice. <laughs> um, why do you do what you do? Well, this is interesting. I, you know, when I, I said, I, you know, I've had, and I still do some journalism. So I still talk about my career and my, my career as a journalist has spanned more than two decades now. And I think what drew me to that was that I'm really just fascinated with ideas, particularly ideas that, um, you know, really shape human behavior, shape our, the way that our societies operate. I studied fashion journalism, but very quickly transitioned into writing more about social trends and, um, and those sorts of things. And so I think it's just in my nature to want to have conversations about why we do what we do, why we are the way that we are, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that it's just in my nature to, to want to do that. I've always loved writing. I've always loved words. Um, more and more so, I just want to write more books. <laughs> I think that's what, I'm, that's what I'm really here to do. It's what gives me the greatest satisfaction. Um, and we talk in spiritual circles, sometimes people will talk about um, the things that help us enter the flow state, which is when we almost kind of lose track of time. We're just so absorbed in what we're doing that it's everything's just feeling so effortless and natural and I, I get into that state when I write and I think that actually a lot of us use alcohol and other drugs to to 
have some kind of an experience of that flow state, that feeling of just effortless engagement. Mm. Um, I think it's something we're all craving. And yeah, we all have the capacity to find that thing which brings us into our flow state. It's often, it often is something creative, but lots of us are taught that we're not creative beings or that if we are a creative being, we're not going to be able to earn a living being creative. And so we can put a lid on that um, kind of impulse, I think, and then seek to find that flow state in other, in other things, often drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And so, yeah, for me, writing is just where I'm in my flow. It's just what comes naturally and what I love to do. Fantastic. Well, you definitely need to carry on doing it, judging by the books that you've written so far. Thank you. Thank <laughs> Let's you just for... tell my publisher that. <laughs> yes. Thank you for making the world a better place. Um, well, your mission is very much aligned with us, so I'm absolutely certain that um, we will be hearing more from you and um, doing more things together down the track. I'm excited um, to be working with you. Where do people find out more from you and, and get, pick up the book and things like that? Um, Instagram is where I'm quite the most active kind of daily, I suppose. Um, although I'm also very aware of my um, rampant social media addiction, and that's something I'm currently addressing in my life. <laughs> 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 um, so I'm, I'm there at Ruby Warrington as my personal one. And for anyone who's curious about the more sort of mystical, numinous um, side of things, I have an Instagram account that's the underscore numinous and it's just spelled like luminous but with an n and then i have a website my website too is the hyphen numinous.com where we publish all kinds of articles on that side of things but i'll be coming to the uk um to do some sober curious events at the end of february leading into the beginning of march so brilliant yes all of my events get posted on the instagram i also have a newsletter that goes out weekly which you can sign up for on my website oh. And we can pop those events in our events page so that our community Great. knows all about them. Great. Brilliant. Um, oh, and don't forget, it's Sober Curious, Ruby Warrington. You can pick that up on Amazon. Um, always next day delivery. Well, um, you know what? This has been slightly um, a stressful situation. Amazon oh. have been out of stock of the book in terms of the hardcover. You can get the Kindle edition there. But right. I'm actually currently sending people to the Waterstones website to get a hard copy because Amazon have been out of stock. Controversial. Right. Go yes. to Waterstones, <laughs> add Sober Curious to your shopping cart and stick the 28 alcohol free challenge in there while you're there. Yes. Um, <laughs> but Great thank documentary you. titles. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for joining us, Ruby. It's been an absolute pleasure and we'll chat again soon. Thank you for having me. for listening to the one year no beer podcast for a full list of episodes and to join in the challenge yourself head on over to oneyearnobeer.com hi my name is Kay Adams and to be honest I'm not so good with the aging process so I enlisted my old chum the filter free Cara McKenzie to advise could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.